Hey there, Shiro listeners, Saturn Dave here reminding you that you must play Sega Saturn, and that it's contributions from listeners like you that help keep this and our other shows hosted and available on demand. In addition to our website, SegaSaturnShiro.com, where you can find all of the most up-to-date news and information from around the Sega Saturn scene. If you'd like to show your support and gain access to several perks, visit Patreon.com slash Shiro Media Group to become a Patreon supporter. If a monthly donation isn't possible, no worries. We still value your support in liking and sharing our content on social media and joining our Discord community to become a part of the Saturn conversation. Thank you for being a loyal listener and a part of this great community. And as always, Hideki Sato was Sega's head of consumer research and development throughout the 80s and 90s and was a brilliant engineer who is really responsible for the design of so many iconic games machines that we've all come to know and love. Whether designing arcade and amusement boards or home consoles, he always sought to push the technology of video games forward, and the Sega Saturn was really no exception to this. Yet, as we all know, it had a troubled development history and quite a troubled time on the consumer market as well. And Hideki Sato goes on record talking about that in an interview on February 1st, 2018, given at the Hitotsubashi University Innovation Research Center as part of an oral history documenting the video games industry in Japan. Sato-san provides us a lot of insight on several key elements regarding Saturn's design and development and Sega's competition with Sony and the PlayStation. Credit for the English translation of the original Japanese transcripts goes to Sega 16 and MD Shock and we are all incredibly thankful to those amazing outlets for making this information available to English-speaking audiences. Rather than including the entire bulk of the interview, which starts all the way back at Satsu-san's childhood and early career, this episode aims to focus purely on the Saturn-related highlights. And to begin, we start with a segment where Sato discusses Sega of America's desire to use the follow-up chip to Motorola 68000, the 68020, under Saturn's hood in order to deliver improved sprite-based gameplay from its predecessor, the Mega Drive Genesis. Motorola had the MC68020, the successor to the MC68000. It was a strong-selling 32-bit CISC microprocessor. Sega of America, who were developing their own 16-bit Genesis games, wanted to use the MC68020 in the Saturn. That would have allowed for essentially updated versions of the current types of game software, and the development libraries could easily be done. They wanted to go for forward compatibility. However, from my viewpoint, this lacked the necessary jump in technology. I thought that it might be okay to move forward with such a continuation of the current technology, but all the same, I felt we needed to move in a new direction to change things up. Compared with the 16-bit generation, we needed to move away from mask ROMs, from solid-state memory, which was too expensive. CD-ROMs had become cheap, but the technology was no longer new. The PC Engine had already been using it for years. We needed something more. Sato also comments on his interest in using Hitachi's new Super H RISC chip that's currently in development. At the time, Hitachi happened to be developing the Super H processor, also known as the SH. After seeing the specs, I was impressed by its high performance. I decided to go with it, even though it was still in development. This was a very rash move for me. The SH is a RISC, reduced instruction set CPU. And at that time NEC was also developing one, the V-series. However, I felt that Hitachi's SH was good, so I went with that. Sato also goes on record regarding the very storied late addition of a second CPU to the Saturn's architecture. 
This helps clear up any confusion regarding the possibility of it being a video display processor or having not happened at all. The Saturn actually had just one CPU at the beginning. Then Sony appeared with its polygon-based PlayStation. When I was first designing the Saturn architecture, I was focused on sprite graphics, which had been the primary graphics up to that point. So I decided to go with polygons due to the PlayStation. However, there weren't any people at Sega who knew how to develop such software. Of course, we had Yu Suzuki in the arcade department, but I couldn't just drag him off to the console department. He was developing titles like Virtua Fighter and Virtua Racing. The expertise of all of the developers we had was in sprite graphics, so there seemed no choice but to go with sprites. Nevertheless, I knew we needed polygons. Using various tricks, adding a geometry engine and so on, I changed everything. In the end, just like the PlayStation, we had pseudo polygons built on a sprite base. I felt no choice but to design a sprite-based architecture. Having said that, after some significant progress, pseudo polygons did represent a jump in graphics in a certain way. There was a distinction of sorts. The processor was very powerful and could support 4000, even 5000 sprites, and I thought we could make the graphics work using a sprite engine after adding the Yamaha and such. It seemed like we were finally nearing completion. Then, PlayStation's final specs were revealed, and it supported 300,000 polygons. This was ultimately false information. However, when you compared the Saturn with the PlayStation, we were completely missing something. My response was to add another SH processor, so we ended up with two SH2s. By chance, the SH supported two-way cascaded data transfer. You could add a second processor and connect them in a cascade and get multi-CPU performance. When you get to about the PlayStation 3, multiprocessors had become common, but the Saturn was the first home console to use multiprocessors. So I added a second SH2, but I felt that the impact was still weak. Sato also comments on some tricky marketing by Sega of Japan, similar to the Atari Jaguar, whereby through the use of some creative math, they essentially marketed the Saturn in Japan as a 64-bit console. Well, the SH2 is a 32-bit processor, and we had two of them, so we could call the Saturn a 64-bit machine. It's a dirty way of getting to 64 bits, but we revealed the CD-ROM-based Saturn using 64 bits as our sales point. Sato-san goes on to speak about the extreme difficulty that third parties had developing games for the Saturn, and just how poor Sega's third-party support was overall. At the beginning, there was no compiler. You had to program the SH in assembly. The people at Sega were good at assembly. That's all they had been using on the Motorola 68000. C and C++ were too slow to use. However, third parties struggled with programming the SH in assembly, and there were two of the CPUs along with the CD-ROM. We asked third parties to make games, but without development libraries, they couldn't do anything. They would take a week and barely even be able to get something to display on the screen, let alone be able to start making a game. Our third-party support was awful. The hardware was incredibly difficult to use. However, if you worked with it a bit, you could get a ton of sprites, with scaling and rotation and so on. For comparison and contrast, Sato speaks on Sony's stellar third-party support and just how easy it was to develop games for the PlayStation due to the efforts that Sony put forth. Sony was good at supporting PlayStation third-party developers. This is because Sony didn't have a development department. They didn't have a software department. What do you do if you don't have a software department? You ask somebody else. Sony went to Namco, Taito, and Konami. They said that they were putting together a game console called the PlayStation, 
and they invited these companies to develop games for it. Sony exerted all of its efforts on supporting third parties and enhancing their collective powers. Sony CEO, Norio Oga himself, went to talk to the third parties. From their perspective, it was a big deal for Oga to come and ask this. From Namco's viewpoint, if they put out Tekken, they could compete evenly with Sega's Virtua Fighter. The number one game in the PlayStation world was Rich Racer from Namco. And Konami, being Konami, they had their typical games. It's obvious that the PlayStation had the better games. No matter how much effort Sega put in, it wasn't going to be enough. So Sony went to Namco, Taito, Konami, and others, and they said here are the specs, and don't worry, there are not two CPUs or anything difficult like that. They said the PlayStation will be easy to develop for, and here are all the development libraries we'll put out. Sony had a very easy-to-use SDK software development kit. Oga himself was making these offers, and the third parties were told they could port all of their own titles and so on. With all of that, it certainly seemed like the PlayStation was better. Sato speaks on Sega's financial losses during the Sega Saturn's time on the market, and their somewhat counterintuitive attempt at slowing production of Saturn's in order to prevent them from going further into the red. So, we released the Saturn in 1994, and as I said before there were two SH2s. In addition, memory was expensive at this time, and we were using a large amount, so costs were very high. For each Saturn sold, we lost about 10,000 yen, approximately $100. That's how the hardware business works. But the goal was to recoup our losses from software royalties. If there are lots of third parties, lots of games sold, and we get 2,000 yen for each, it's possible. However, if software sales are weak, and for each console sold, we're ultimately losing 5 to 6,000 yen. What's going to happen from the business perspective? We're going to stop selling consoles. This later became a huge problem. Every month, or even every week, in Sega's case, we had meetings to examine the current situation. Each department would report on where it stood in relation to its goals. So imagine if the sales goal for the end-of-year sales war is let's say 3 billion yen, and the profit goal is 300 million yen, but the profit is in the red. That profit is a very important factor, so what does the business side do? They decide that it's not necessary to have sales of 3 billion yen. Instead, 2 billion yen will do. In other words, they stop selling 1 billion yen's worth of hardware. That way, if each unit sold is losing 5,000 yen, and we extend that to 20,000 units, that's 100 million yen lost. By stopping the sales of 20,000 units, in a way that becomes 100 million yen in profit. So they slammed on the brakes in terms of unit distribution. Even though there were people that wanted to buy the console, Sega didn't want to sell it, because the more they sold the more they went into the red. From the perspective of the third parties, they saw that Sega was curbing the sales of the Saturn. The more consoles there were, the more games would be sold. But if console sales were being limited, then this created a serious problem. As they say, poverty dulls the wit. This led to a negative feedback loop. And finally, Sato comments on Sony's many advantages over Sega when it comes to hardware manufacturing. In addition to the consistent warnings from his friend and PlayStation head Ken Kuduragi that he should quit the console hardware business altogether and focus purely on software. To launch a new console, you really need 50 to 60 billion yen at the least. You have to sell those first million units. If your costs are 30,000 yen per unit, then that comes to 30 billion yen for 1 million units. And you have to design the hardware and create the electronics, 
make the molds and do the tooling, so this will soon consume about 10 billion yen. And then you have to create the games and do the advertising. You need about 500 to 600 people. Without all this, you can't launch a home console. You can't do it little by little. You really have to go all in. Sony had annual sales of 3 trillion yen. They made their own CD-ROM drives. They had their own semiconductor factories. Once when I was talking with Ken Kutarogi, the creator of the PlayStation, he said, Hideki-chan. He refers to me using the Chan diminutive. Hideki-chan, there's no way you can beat me. Where are you buying your processors? From Hitachi. From Yamaha. What about your CD-ROM drives? You're buying everything. By buying from Hitachi, Hitachi is profiting. You can't make anything yourselves. We can make everything ourselves, including custom parts. We have our own factories. Near Nakashinden, they had a huge factory where they made audio equipment that they were using for the PlayStation. Their cost structure was completely different. Kutarogi told me, that's the way it is, Hideki-chan. So quit the hardware business. Why not just do software? We'll give you favorable treatment. He wanted us to go third party, but we had been going for so long in the hardware business, for better or worse. We couldn't go third party now. We had been half-heartedly successful in America once, and this made it impossible to quit the hardware business. Maybe if the Mega Drive Genesis had been a failure, things would have been different. But we had a strange taste of success. At that time, Sega's brand image was incredible. When you powered on a Sega console, Sega would always appear first. Even if it was a third-party game from Namco or anybody else, Sega's name always appeared first, followed by Namco's. So anybody that had a Sega console, it didn't matter what game they played, they would see Sega's name. This helped plant the Sega brand in people's minds. This was incredibly effective. How could we go from that to a Sony third party? Well, we had already started, so it was too late. I would have a formal dinner with Kutarogi about once every three months. He would tell me that because we released a console last time, they would be the ones to do so this time. We are the same age, although he's two or three months older. I would address him politely as Kutarogi-san, although sometimes I'd call him Ken-chan. Because I was two or three months younger, he'd say Hideki-chan, please give up. So we released the Saturn, and in the end, it came down to software. It's obvious, what do consumers look forward to? They want fun games, and that's where we failed. 